You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 53. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Happy Thursday, guys, or whatever day you happen to be listening. I don't know about you, but I am pretty tired this morning. I had one of those nights where it was a late night run to pick up my littlest brother from the airport for an interview here in Austin, which I'm crossing my fingers goes well because we would love to have him in the city, but it was kind of a late night getting him. And then it was one of those times where you're kind of tired, but you can't really fall asleep. That's kind of where I'm at a little foggy this morning, but so excited to be with you today. Before we get started with today's episode, I just want to do a quick shout out for those who are interested in Life with Intention online. My flagship course is six weeks long covering how to create and live by values-based intentions from the very, very beginning to all the ways you can use it to change and plan every aspect of your life, including possessions, personal habits, relationships, and career. I'm doing a special holiday rate just for these next two days only. It's closing tomorrow, which is Friday, December 12th, and will reopen for the official launch in January of 2015. Because of the improvements and the extra additions I'm adding to the course this year, including live coaching calls in a group format throughout each of the modules, the price is going up in 2015. No big deal if you wanna wait till then, but just wanted to give you the heads up. It's the last two days to get the current rate. In addition, I have a very exciting week coming up for you guys next week. For those who have been following me since last year or longer, you may remember what I did around this time last year, and I have another awesome week planned for you this year. So if you're not already on my email list, that's where you'll be able to see what all of these things are. Of course, I'll be doing my Tuesday and Thursday episodes, but the week actually will be five days long total, and we'll have awesome things on the site for you. If you would like to get on that list so you can actually hear about those things, and trust me, I'm doing them for you so they all benefit you, you might wanna go over to jesslively.com slash getting started to get on the email list. And also, when you sign up for that, you'll get my intention quick start guide, which is my top five links to my favorite posts, books, blogs, resources, and videos and habits that can help you start living with intention today. And now let's get into our episode. So today I'm actually interviewing a Lively Show listener. I, from time to time, will get these little emails that will ping me when someone mentions the Lively Show on their blog. And it's always a nice surprise and I get to go over and check out their website and see what they shared about the show. And one of these times recently, I got an email from a blog called saroy.net, S-A-R-O-Y.net, I saw Sarah Ruiz talking about The Lively Show, and then I just started kind of poking around on her site and was fascinated, so much so that I had to ask her on the show to share about her life and how she does everything that she does. Sarah is kind of a hard person to describe, but here are a few words you might want to keep in mind. Sarah is a wife, mother, quilter, runner, blogger, and aerospace engineer for NASA. With all of those titles and all of those interests, I knew I needed to have her on the show to talk about how she balances her creative side, her engineering side, her motherhood, training for half marathons and triathlons, and just kind of peek inside her brain. How does she do it all? 
that's exactly what we cover in today's episode. We'll be talking about what it's like to work for NASA and a little bit about the life of an astronaut because I was just kind of curious. Sarah, by the way, is not an astronaut herself. You can see her in her vomit comet, which is part of NASA's training. And apparently that vomit comet, you can see Sarah's kind of weightless in her picture that's actually where they taped some of Apollo 13 with Tom Hanks, which is kind of crazy. So she is not the astronaut herself, but she does work very closely with the astronauts on the space station. And then we're also going to be talking about what it's like to work with the International Space Stations and the teams in Russia, Europe, Japan, and beyond. We're also going to then foray into the many passions and hobbies that Sarah has outside her day job at NASA and how she makes time for them while caring for her little toddler, Emma, and spending time with her husband. Let's go to the show. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Sarah. Thanks. It's good to be here. So are you talking with us from NASA right now? I am. I'm in a conference room way down at one end of uh, my building on a lunch break. Too bad you couldn't have actually been in a spaceship because I feel like that would have made this show way cooler. <laughs> that would have been impressive. Um, a lot more logistically difficult, probably. <laughs> but yeah. You mean they don't get Skype in the shuttle? Actually, they do have internet up there now and they have the ability to do video cons. It's probably not Skype, but they do have the ability to do video cons uh, once a week or so with their families. Really? So do they have like Facebook up there? That's a good question. I don't actually know. They do have the internet. Maybe I'm sure they could probably go to Facebook if they wanted to, if that's how they chose to spend their free time. (laughs) Well, actually, that's a random question. Do you know how much free time they actually have? Well, so the astronauts on the space station are actually scheduled a lot like somebody on the ground. They're only scheduled for eight hours a day of work. And so then they've got the rest of their day to you know, talk to their family, take care of email, look out the window. And then realistically, they they work more than eight hours a day. You know, things happen, things break, they need to be fixed or, you know, they're cleaning up or they're exercising. Exercising is a really significant portion of their day to keep them in shape for when they come home six months later. But it, it's kind of a work day very similar to on the earth, except they're on the space station. Obviously, we're talking a lot about NASA, so let's actually get to your background to tell us how you got to where you are right now. I grew up in North Carolina, um, in Charlotte. When I was in high school is when I really became interested in space. It was one of my teachers, my high school physics teacher, offered extra credit to anyone who entered this contest, and I was kind of a pretty squeaky clean goody two-shoes student, and I said, extra credit, sign me up, I'm on board. (laughs) And I ended up getting a trip to the Kennedy Space Center in Florida. And that was kind of the first time I went, oh, wow, people do space stuff as a career. I had always been kind of interested in space and especially in astronomy. My dad is also really interested in astronomy. So I had that part. But it was in high school when I finally decided, yeah, I want, I want to be an aerospace engineer. I want to go work for NASA. That's incredible. So what happened from there? So um, I applied to a couple different colleges and ended up going to Georgia Tech, which is in Atlanta. It was about four hours away from home for me, which at the time was like the perfect distance. It was like far enough away that I couldn't be expected or, you know, I couldn't rely on going home for the weekend, but it was close enough that I could easily get home for holidays and things like that. And it was also on top of that, it was also a great engineering school. I was there for actually five years total. 
getting a degree in aerospace engineering. And the reason that it took five years instead of your normal four is because I participated in something called the Cooperative Education Program. And we call it co-op for short. And what it is is kind of like a slightly different version of an internship. You get a co-op job with a company and you go back there several times over the course of your college career. So I would go to school for a semester and then I would come down to Houston and work at NASA for a semester. So you got NASA as your co-op? I did. That, and I got a co-op job with NASA. They actually have an extensive co-op program that draws from schools all over the country. Wow. How competitive was it after you got out of school to get that position? Well, so the good news about the co-op program is that once you have a job in that program, it's a lot easier to get hired on full-time. They can just kind of transition you from being a student employee to a full-time employee. The co-op program, at least at the time that I was hired, was by far the biggest contributor, I guess, to, to people getting hired. Most of the people hired were coming out of the co-op program. So the competition, I guess, was really back at the, you know, you're a freshman in, or sophomore in college applying to get into the co-op program. That's where it really mattered that you get in. And what are you doing at NASA specifically? So I work in the Safety and Mission Assurance Directorate, and I work on safety for the space station, the International Space Station or the ISS. We kind of have our whole different language at NASA that's full of acronyms. So I will try not to say <laughs> anything without then explaining what the acronym stands for, but I apologize in advance if I mess up. So I work in the safety directorate, and that sounds really broad, and it kind of is. It's our job to kind of look across the entire space station program and make sure that everything that we're doing, everything that we're sending up to the space station or bringing home from the space station, that we're doing it in a safe and reliable and quality way. Really? So what specifically have you done that's recently been on your mind? Well, it's something different every day. Really, things are always maybe breaking or if not breaking, maybe not exactly working like we planned. But one of the things that I'm in charge of is our interface with the Russians. It's called the ISS, the International Space Station. So we have a lot of international partners. We have Russian cosmonauts that fly on board. We have uh, European partners and we have Japanese partners and Canadian partners and people from all over the world. It truly is international, which is one of the really cool things about it. But one of my specialties is the Russian vehicles. The Russians fly two different spacecraft. One is called the Soyuz and one is called the Progress. The Soyuz is actually the only vehicle that takes astronauts from the Earth into space right now. The United States, we used to have the space shuttle, but it stopped flying in 2011. So right now, the, the only thing that carries our astronauts, Europe's astronauts, everyone's astronauts to the space station is this Russian Soyuz vehicle. Is it tense with the international relations? I know right now Russia and the U.S. are not doing so good in the government side of things. You know, I've had people ask me that question, and I should probably preface this answer by saying this is me as a person, citizen, not me as a NASA employee saying this. <laughs> yeah. As far as NASA is concerned, there has been absolutely no change. You know, we work with the, our Russian partners and our partners in Europe and Japan and Canada on a daily basis. So we know them well. We're very comfortable with them. And there's been an absolutely no change <laughs> to our working relationship there. That's good. Does everyone get along? Yeah. Yeah, we do. You know, it's interesting because you definitely see cultural differences at play, both in terms of personality and then just in terms of 
how, for instance, NASA does engineering versus how Russia does engineering versus how Japan does engineering and those types of cultural differences. But it works surprisingly well. It, it works pretty smoothly. Outside of your NASA job, you have many other things on your plate. What other interests and things are going on in your life? Yeah, I have a lot going on. That's kind of my personality. I don't sit still very well. I have a husband who also works at NASA, actually. Um, and then we have a two-year-old daughter. She turned two a couple months ago. So she's actually closer to two and a half at this point than two. And so obviously, I would say the last couple years since she was born have been a whole new world than what my life was like before. So we do a lot of things with her. Obviously, we, we try to do a lot of family activities. I have several kind of hobbies and interests. Um, I'm really into sewing and quilting right now. I started getting into that about three or four years ago, maybe a year or so before my daughter was born. And that interest has only grown at the same time that my time available to do it has decreased. <laughs> and so that's kind of my biggest hobby right now. I am a runner and I've done triathlons in the past. So I, I do that. I'm actually training for a half marathon coming up in January here in Houston. And you have a blog, which is where I found you. And I have a <laughs> blog. That's true. I do have a blog. It's kind of funny. I never think to mention it because the blog I consider kind of a hobby still as well. Um, I've actually been blogging since 1997 or 98, back when it was like me hand coding the HTML of like a little diary entry and putting it online. <laughs> so I've, I've been blogging for 16 years now. And it's kind of just I write about everything. I write about what's going on in my day. I write about my life. I write about whatever quilt or craft project I've just finished, things that I'm into right now. So it's a little bit of everything. It's kind of a mishmash probably goes against most of the blogging advice where you're supposed to focus, I guess. But Well, no, it's a personal decision for everyone. So, all right. So we've talked about NASA engineer, mother, wife, blogger, quilter, runner, and I'm probably even missing something in there too. So how do you, you do all of these things with everything on your plate? Sometimes not well. <laughs> <laughs> I guess for me, it's just a matter of, of setting priorities on a daily or even weekly basis and figuring out what it is that is most important to me to get done on any given week and then setting out to accomplish it, sometimes with more success than others. I'm a big list maker. I've always got a list going of several different things. I get that question from other people, like, how do you have time to make all these quilts, for instance? For me, a big part is that although I do work full time, there's some advantages to my job. The primary one being that I very rarely have to work more than 40 hours a week. You know, so many people these days who have full-time jobs end up working 50, 60, 70, however many hours. One of the really nice things about working for NASA and working for the federal government is that it really is fairly close to a true 40-hour-a-week job. Sometimes those hours might shift in terms of what time of day, like it might not always be nine to five, but I've very rarely worked I just don't have those 80 plus hour weeks. So, you know, I come to work in the morning and then I go home at the at the end of the day and I have several hours in the evening. You know, my daughter's still young. She's two. So she goes to bed at about eight o'clock and that gives me some more time, you know, after she's in bed but before I need to go to bed. Is that when you're quilting? That's when I'm quilting um, at night or during her nap time on the weekends. Since she came along, there's, there's several 
they sound little, but several things that I've done to, to help out. For instance, for quilting, I used to have my sewing machine in our, our upstairs bonus room in our house. Once she was born, it just didn't make sense for me to go all the way up there. And as she's gotten bigger, I can't go upstairs by myself because then Emma's running around the house doing who knows what. <laughs> you know, she's not old enough yet that I can let her play on her own for hours at a time. So I moved all my sewing stuff down and it is smack in the middle of my dining room table, which does not look so great from a home decor standpoint, but is really functional. (laughs) I can sit down for 10 minutes while, you know, she's reading books on the couch in the living room, which is right next door and sew a couple quilt blocks together. I kind of take it, take the time in little bits and pieces and chunks where I can get it. For running, that was a big challenge after she was born, was finding time to to work out again. And it was important to me. I, I wouldn't say I'm just like, I love running, but I love the way that it makes me feel. And I love the stress relief that you get from it. And at one point, we finally realized I don't have time to go running during the day. The only time I have to go running is at night after she's gone to bed. And then it's dark and I don't want to be outside in the dark. So we got a treadmill. <laughs> And now we have a treadmill in the middle of our bedroom, which again, not so great from a home decor standpoint, but it's very functional. (laughs) And, you know, that is the sole thing that allows me to, you know, get my workouts in during the week. I was going to ask you, do you watch TV at all? Because I don't know how you're getting in any seasons of Breaking Bad while you're doing all this, (laughs) unless you're quilting maybe while watching television. I do watch TV, um, not a lot. And I'm usually doing something else at the same time. It's pretty rare for me to sit down and just watch a show. My husband and I, that's what we will sometimes do together in the evening is we'll watch TV, but I'll usually be, yeah, quilting or maybe blogging at the same time. There's one show in particular we watch. We watch The Walking Dead, which just finished up for the the first half of the season. So it's not on for the next few weeks. That's a show that I really like, but I'm also kind of a wuss. I'm not a big horror person. I have to be doing something else while I'm watching that show. I can't focus on it or it freaks me out too much. I can imagine. Right now, my husband and I, I'm on a huge mystery kick. So I'm reading mysteries at night and I'm watching Hercule Poirot from Agatha Christie on BBC. A lot of the episodes are on Netflix right now. So we're going through that and I am obsessed. But I need like all of my attention on it right now because I'm trying to actively solve the mysteries. So I can't I can't be sewing while I'm watching. I'm trying to actively solve it. But I totally get it for other things. And honestly, I probably take my Hercules pirate too seriously. It's what I used to call him when I was little. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have to admit, I'm probably not the greatest person to just sit and watch a TV show with because I'm always like got something else running through my head. What else are things that you don't do in order to make time for the things that you are doing? Probably the biggest thing I don't do is a lot of the housework (laughs) type stuff. We used to do that. Both my husband and I, we used to share in the the cleaning and the cooking and the lawn maintenance and all that stuff before we had my daughter. And after she came along, after I had like a mini breakdown about, you know, having a filthy house and grass that was like a foot high, I said, you know what? I'm like, we both work nine to five professional jobs. We make a pretty good salary. We can afford to have someone cut our lawn for us. For instance, we can afford to have a maid service come in every couple of weeks. You know, that's one of those issues I think that always makes people feel kind of funny. I know it it made me f- feel kind of funny, like I'm going to pay someone to clean my house. Like, no, I should be able to handle that myself. But 
it's been such a huge relief in my life. And so it's what helps make time for all the other things. What helps keep me sane. It's what helps me sew or blog and do things that make me happy instead of stalking around the house with a frown on my face, muttering under my breath about how annoying it is to have to clean the toilet. (laughs) Absolutely. I remember actually working with a client, a business client a few years back, and she had an interesting situation. She had, I think, one or two kids. She had three of her own businesses and her husband had a nine to five and had a kind of traditional expectation of like the house being clean and the dinner on the table when he came home. But she was so stressed out with the two kids, no childcare help and running her three businesses. And she also didn't have the same expectations for her home or the cooking that he did. We talked it out about the whole decision to get help with those things. And I think she still wanted to do the cooking, but it was really the cleaning that was a little bit too much for her. But her husband also didn't like the idea of spending the money. And we did the math with her business and we ended up calculating how much time she spent cleaning her home to the standards that her husband wanted versus how much she could make in that time by working on her businesses per hour. And it ended up showing that she'd still pull a profit if she spent that time on her business rather than on the cleaning. And he would also get those expectations and she'd have less stress overall. So it's an interesting decision. I think it's personal for every family. But even sometimes when it seems like it's not possible, if you do the math, sometimes it can totally make sense. Yeah. And I think in a lot of cases, it just makes it takes a big stressor out of your life. And and sometimes that's maybe a little underrated, but just taking away one thing and making it into something you don't have to worry about anymore. And so I never have to worry about my floors getting clean. Like my cleaners only come two weeks. I will fully admit that I don't vacuum in those two weeks. So by the time, you know, their next visit runs around, like, <laughs> yeah, there's some crap on the floor, but it is what it is. Cooking is something we actually do ourselves, but we do what I would call convenience cooking. I mean, we are not making anything gourmet over here. We're having frozen pasta meals and stuff that can be made in half an hour and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's all about values. Erin Lochner was the first guest I had on the show, and she actually talked about how she valued slowing down. And she actually was at the time, I don't know if she's still doing it now, but for a while she was not all the time, but some of the time she was washing her own clothes by hand. Now that's obviously a priority and a value for her where you have the value and the priority of quilting and running. There's nothing wrong with either value. It's about designing your life around the values you have. So you have more time to do the things that you value and less time doing things you don't value. Yeah, I think I spend too much time, and I think probably most of us spend too much time comparing ourselves to what other people are doing or what we feel like maybe we should be doing. For me, this was even more true once I had a child and you get into that whole like, you need to do X, Y, Z to be a good mom and that kind of thing. I spend so much time wondering if I'm doing it right. And maybe I would be a lot better served if I just concentrated on what can I do that's going to work for me and for my family. Yeah. How do you get over it when you have those feelings? Oh, gosh. (laughs) I usually start to get more and more cranky until I finally it dawns on me that I'm being ridiculous. (laughs) And (laughs) and I remind myself to calm down. One of the things I think probably a lot of your listeners will be familiar with it is Allie Edwards' one little word concept. I think you had her on a few weeks ago. Yes. This year, 2014, was actually the first year I had like a one little word. And back at the beginning, I chose calm 
As my word, my daughter at the beginning of this year was just about to be one and a half. So I had just come through this like year and a half of chaos and disarray that comes along with having a child. You know, it's it's all welcome when you have a kid, but I think it's also unexpected, or at least it was for me. I was just like, I can't handle this. There is too much going on. Like I am being pulled in too many directions. And so going into 2014, I was like, I just want to focus on being calm this year. And every time I felt myself starting to get really stressed out about all kinds of things, whether it was I was having an issue at work or I didn't finish a quilt by some completely arbitrary deadline that I had set for myself, um, <laughs> I would just kind of go calm, calm, just stay calm. And I had never done anything like that before. And it was actually kind of amazing how helpful it was. <laughs> That's awesome. It's actually very similar to, I would say it's definitely could be considered a values-based intention, which is the work that I work with my students on. So that's awesome that you have this overarching value in your case that you can use in all situations. I love that. What's your 2015 word? I haven't decided yet, but uh, I actually just wrote something about it on my blog today. I'm thinking about using the word enough and not in the sense of like, I've had enough, but just in the sense of what I'm doing at any given moment is enough and I need to stop putting so much pressure on myself to measure up to, like I just kind of said, arbitrary expectations or deadlines that I'm putting on myself. I have a feeling a lot of people are going to be sharing that word next year after you explained it. That's really makes a lot of sense. Accepting what is, is another way to look at that. Yeah, that's a good way to put it as well. Because we can't fight what is. We can only recognize what is, is. And it doesn't mean we accept or stay put in something we don't like. We can change things that we have control over. But there is enough. This moment is enough. We are enough. I think that's a really beautiful theme to have in your life. So have you made any changes because of the word calm this year? I wouldn't say I've made any concrete changes. I think for me, it was more just an attitude, maybe changing my attitude and just reminding myself that it's all going to be okay and that in, you know, 95% of the time, whatever freak out or worry or anxiety I might be feeling is probably not really warranted. So what would you recommend for other people who are have so many passions like you do and are trying to juggle everything? And especially those people that like you might be a new mom and have a full time career as well. I should probably preface this by saying that all of these are maybe a little bit of do as I say, not as I do, because I think I I still struggle with a lot of these. (laughs) One of the other kind of phrases that always sticks out in my mind is better is the enemy of good. And I've heard different variations on this. I have a tendency to want to make things absolutely perfect, whether it's, you know, a presentation I'm making for work that I spend way too much time working on just like the PowerPoint format instead of focusing on the actual content or sewing and making sure that every seam is just perfect, which is really unrealistic, actually, or at least it is for me. For me and for other people, I think it's really important to remember that good enough in the majority of cases really is good enough and that you don't have to keep spinning your wheels trying to make it better and better and better. One of the things I've heard in the engineering world is the 80-20 rule. Pareto principle, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's really common. The way I've always heard it is in particular jobs here, people will say like, it takes you 20% of your time to learn 80% of your job and then 80% of your time to learn that last 20%. And so, you know, really focus on the biggest bang for your buck. And so that kind of fits into the same better is the enemy of good type of of idea. 
yeah, I'm actually focusing on that right now in my own business and life. I'm reading the book, The One Thing. Have you read it? No. It's really good. And actually, it. I think the authors, or at least one of the authors I know, is here in Austin. I'm actually going to meet him for coffee and hopefully have him on the show. So we'll see. If you end up seeing a show episode with the guy from The One Thing, then you know that actually happened. It's really good. And he talks about the Pareto's principle and the gains that we can have when we focus on the one thing that will bring the greatest amount of results. But you could apply this to any area of your life. Yeah, definitely. And then thing that I was thinking about someone just starting out is for me in particular, I have to remind myself that hobbies can just be hobbies. You know, I look around at different people who are doing a lot of the things that I'm interested in. And in a lot of cases, they're doing it full time or they're doing it as their own business or they're, you know, running a business through their blog or that kind of thing. And and I tend to get caught up in the like, oh, maybe I should be doing that. Like maybe I should sell my quilts or maybe I should try and design a fabric line or maybe I should just try and make money from my blog, which I have never made a cent from my blog and probably never will. And that's okay because it's a hobby. A hobby really can just be a hobby. It doesn't have to turn into more. Amen. I'm so glad you shared that. I know we touched on that a little bit before the show about the pressure it can feel when you see people online doing things full time that maybe I should do it. Even if you don't even want to do it, there's just this kind of almost like maybe that's expected of me or I should be wanting to do that. And I love that you're sharing, especially from your point of view. It's easy for me to say that, but that's what I do full time. <laughs> so I love that you're sharing from your point of view that it's totally awesome and that you really wouldn't probably want to do those other things full time. I'm guessing you really get a lot of joy from what you do as an engineer at NASA. I do. It's kind of funny. People have asked me before, you must just love engineering. And for me, it's almost... (laughs) Is that not the case? (laughs) Well, I wouldn't say I love engineering, which is funny because I work as an engineer. I would say I love space and space exploration. And my, my interest in that is what drove me to become an engineer. I've, I've told people before that if I was not working at NASA, I probably would not be working as an engineer. But I do think that no matter what else I was doing, I still have a little bit of that engineer's mindset. I like my full-time job. I like the structure of my nine to five. You know, I like the stability that that provides in my life, both schedule-wise and financially and and, in all different aspects. And so no matter what else I was doing, whether I was doing engineering or not, I think I would want a lot of those same things. And so it works really well for where I am right now. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of Mr. Lively, my husband. And I know you listened to that episode in particular. He has the same values. And he loves his job for the same reasons you shared. Routines, the salary is a nice thing. It takes a lot of pressure off and gives you the time to dabble in your hobbies without putting the pressure of making an income and a living off of them. Yeah. One funny thing I've told people before is, you know, I took my three months of maternity leave after my daughter was born. And at the end of that, I was ready to go back to work. I missed the structure to my days. I missed being in an office and talking to my coworkers and all that kind of stuff. I really missed all of that. So I was ready to come back. I was excited to go back to work at the end of my maternity leave. You know, I was sad to leave my daughter, but I was excited for, you know, moving on, getting back to what I was used to in my life, I guess. Do you think you have any advice for anyone that's in a day job right now that may want to stay in the career world, I don't say career world, the corporate world, whatever it is, like a not self-employed world. (laughs) Let's just put it that way. And they don't like what they're doing, but they have some fear around 
changing what they're doing. Do you have any ideas or advice for them? Gosh, I wish I had better advice than I probably do. That's actually something that my husband and I struggle with. We're both pretty happy in our jobs at NASA. We do kind of think about whether we want to stay in Houston long term. Um, neither one of us are originally from Houston. You know, our jobs is, is 100% of what brought us here. And I don't know. For me personally, it gets into that, you know, for me, if if I wasn't working in the space exploration world, I don't know if I would want to do engineering, which begs the question, well, what would you want to do? But if people like the nine to five, but maybe don't like their particular spot, I think there's just a lot of different options. At a company like NASA, which is very large, there's a lot of ability to kind of move around within. So you don't have to leave NASA, but there's a you know, hundred different jobs you could be doing and different programs you could be working on. For me personally, I've done that. I've moved around within NASA, whereas a lot of other people might have left the company entirely. I've been able to move around internally and stick with jobs that continue to interest and challenge me along the way. But yeah, I don't really have great advice for if you're unhappy though, because unfortunately, I don't know what I would do in that situation. Yeah, you don't? If you didn't like your job, you don't know what you would do? I'm not really sure. For me, I have had points in the past where I have been unhappy and I've been able to move internally. That's kind of what I was maybe not so eloquently trying to get at a minute ago. Um, I've had points where I was no longer happy with what I was doing and I was able to move to something else. For me, fortunately, that didn't involve actually moving to a different company. So it was fairly seamless. And it's great about that is because you love space. So you got to stay in your field of interest, but move around in terms of the role. So the people that have the nine to five, maybe that aren't happy, if they can find, if they want to stay in that world, a connection to a different company that has that field that they're interested in, maybe that would be helpful if they can't move internally. I think it would. It's always kind of strange for me when I get asked for career advice, because I feel like the NASA world is very unique. And I can say that because I'm in it, you know, I'm sure there's lots of other things that are unique too. So I shouldn't say that specific to NASA, but it's just, it, it's definitely its own little niche. I would think it's differently. You started, like you said, you got basically recruited to NASA when you're a sophomore. You actually have one of the rare careers where I feel like a lot of people might stay in it their whole career because they're tied to space and their passion for it. Whereas a lot of people move around in their jobs and their careers in different fields or companies within their industry. They do. That's very true. There's a lot of people at NASA who have been here for their whole career. It's one of those jobs that lends itself to people who are passionate about a certain thing. And for better or for worse, a lot of people's passion for space exploration will keep them here even if there are some things that they may be unhappy with, their excitement about space exploration maybe outweighs some of the negatives. Absolutely. There's not very much competition. <laughs> yeah, there's really not. Yeah, there's getting to be more and more competition, actually. There's some other American companies that are building rockets and spacecraft now more than there used to be 10 or 15 years ago. But you're right. I mean, it's a pretty small market. And you actually led into my question perfectly. So I was going to ask you, what are your thoughts on the travel and the Virgin space program and the idea of space travel? What are your thoughts since you're so much more connected to that world and can see it from a better place? Oh, I mean, I think it's awesome. I think it's really exciting that we're in a phase of time now, I guess, that uh, there are, are people 
who have the ability and then the money to be able to do that. You know, in the past, space exploration was really something that was reserved for governments because governments were the only entities that had enough money and manpower to make it happen. And then, of course, space exploration got its start in the 50s and 60s because of the Cold War. You know, if there hadn't been political impetus to go to the moon, for instance, then we might not have done it when we did. Um, So I think it's awesome that it's branching out now to other companies. Virgin Galactic, the one that you mentioned, they unfortunately had an accident a month or so ago. Yeah. But I, I don't really know much about their company at all other than what I've read in the media. But I have no doubt that they will do the same kind of things that, that we would do and have done when that has happened to NASA. You know, you do as much of an investigation as you can to figure out what went wrong. You fix it and you keep going. Space exploration gets compared to the early days of Lewis and Clark going across the country or, or Columbus coming across the Atlantic to discover the new world, that type of stuff, because it really is kind of pioneering. We're doing things that we haven't done before And we're having to come up with new technology and new ways to do that. It's dangerous. There's no way around it. There's always going to be some level of risk that you have to accept. And so it's just a trade of how much risk are you willing to accept for the potential reward. Do you think that that's influenced your life at all? That idea of understanding the risk versus reward? Um, I think it's definitely influenced it. Yeah. And lately, especially since I moved to the the safety world, I mentioned I work in our safety organization. At some points, I worry that I'm becoming too conservative. You know, no, you can't do that because like, you know, this one, two, three, four, five sequence of events could happen. And then at the end of all that, the result would be really bad. But I do think working in this field teaches you to to think about life that way and to to kind of assess what could happen and what the outcomes could be and how much of a chance you're willing to take. Yeah, that's fascinating. Your industry is very risk tolerant and your specific department is very risk intolerant. Yeah, it's interesting. I would say the industry, you know, the space industry actually gets a lot of flack sometimes for the perception that we are too risk averse, that we don't take enough risk for something that is inherently risky. So it's kind of this this like catch 22, you know, the activity that you're doing is inherently risky. How much work and how much time and how much money are you going to spend to lower that risk? And at what point have you lowered it enough to say that you're good? It's fascinating because I feel like you could have said that exact answer to someone talking about business or going full time with something that they're doing on their own about the risk, right? Yeah, I think there's a lot of parallels there. The space industry maybe feels it more just because in most, in a lot of cases, actual lives are on the line. But yeah, the the principle is the same. Yeah, exactly. I'm not saying it's the same at all in terms of actual risk and what you're risking. But I think there's interesting parallels that are about understanding when you're not taking enough risk and when you might be taking too much. Yeah, oh, definitely. What doubts or internal resistance have you had to face in your life that you've overcome? I think one of the most recent things I've struggled with in that department is just becoming a mom, actually. So nothing related to risk or space exploration or anything, but just becoming a mom and having this little child that I need to care for and make sure she's growing and developing and becoming an awesome little person. What's the thought that you hear that kind of keeps you up at night in that area? 
Well, for me, the worry is just kind of the, am I doing a good enough job? Am I being a good enough mom? Am I spending enough time with her? Am I giving her enough attention? As much as I enjoy working and as confident as I am that having a job and continuing to work was the right choice for me, it's hard to escape some of the mommy wars type stuff and saying, you know, she goes to daycare, like, is daycare okay? Or should would she be better off being home with me? And that type of thing. When I was growing up, my mom stayed home with me and my siblings for several years. She was a teacher. I'm the oldest. So when I was born, she stayed home. And then she did, she finally went back to teaching maybe 15 years or so later. And so it's been really jarring to me to realize that my daughter's childhood will be different from mine because I work where my mom didn't. And so that's kind of an area that I wouldn't say that I, I don't doubt my decision to keep working, but I do kind of have some, I don't know if doubt's the right word, but I just go, gosh, you know, I hope that my daughter's going to turn out well, you know, in, in 16 years when she's 18 and going off to college. Like, I hope that all the decisions and all the things we're doing now are going to turn her into a good person. Well, it sounds like it's going to turn her into an astronaut if you both are <laughs> working at NASA and probably exploring space stuff with her throughout the... I have no idea, obviously, if she will, but I think she's going to be... Yeah, maybe she'll she'll either be an astronaut or she'll think space is super boring <laughs> and just not interested at all. One or the other, maybe. That's really interesting because one of the things you shared while you were explaining your worries was the word enough came up in every single worry. So I love that you're changing the perception of the word enough in 2015, if you choose to make that your word. Oh, gosh, I didn't even realize that. So thanks for pointing that out. <laughs> yeah, you're worried about if you're spending enough time with her, if, if you're doing enough, all those things, perhaps reinforcing that you are doing enough in all of these areas might help overcome that resistance if or when you face that in 2015. Yeah, I think that pretty much settles it. I think that's going to have to be my word. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, here, live on the Lively Show, <laughs> Sarah has chosen enough. What would you tell someone just starting out on this journey? I think one of the most important things is just to stay true to yourself. And that's certainly not new advice, but it's something that I think can be hard to remember. I mean, I've been working for 15 years. I've been a mom for a couple years now, and I still have trouble with that. But when I'm struggling with something, I try and stop and take a breath and just ask myself, you know, is this something I really want to do? Is this something that's really important to me? Or am I doing this because I feel like I should or because someone else told me that I should or whatever reason, just stay true to yourself. I was actually just listening yesterday to your your Tuesday mini edition from this week where you were talking about your ego versus your intuition. And so I think it's kind of in line with, with that. Whenever I get worried about something, I try and just sit for a minute, take a deep breath and ask myself, what about this really matters and what can I kind of let go of? That's so brilliant and so well said. And actually, as you were answering that question, I kept thinking she's doing something very intuitive. She's reflecting on her values and she's going deeper than what her ego is telling her she should or shouldn't do or what other people are doing. Yeah, and I should probably should do it more often than I actually do. <laughs> I usually wait until my stress is at a crazy high level and then I go, okay, I got to breathe or I'm just going to like pass out. <laughs> I think we're all on that journey to just kind of listen to that a little more quickly. That's kind of all it's about is just getting there a little faster each time if we can, but not beating ourselves up when we do finally get the message, <laughs> but to say, you know, here we are, I'm here now. And that's what matters. Yeah. 
I love that. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us, Sarah. It means so much to me. And I really, really appreciate you sharing. And it's really fun to pick your brain about space. Yeah, well, I like talking about it. So it works out well. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks. And there you have it. Thank you, Sarah, so much for coming on the show and sharing with us from NASA during your busy work day. And thank you for listening. If you'd like to send Sarah a message about her episode, you can go over to Twitter. Her handle is S-A-R-O-Y, Saroy. Thank you guys so much. And again, if you're interested in Life with Intention online and want to sign up in the next two days while it's still open at the holiday rate, feel free to go over to lifewithintentiononline.com. And may something wonderful happen to you today. Thank you.